And it is a special Friday as we're kicking off Easter weekend here at the Speaking For Him podcast. Thanks so much for joining myself. I'm Adam McNutt alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. Hello, Adam. And as I think I've said the last couple of years, uh, the Good Friday episode is one of my favorite to do. And it's because in large part, Good Friday and Easter weekend that follows is the reason that Speaking For Him exists. For we do not serve a dead Savior who's in the grave. We serve one who rose from the grave the third day. But today, on this Good Friday, we're going to focus on his suffering on the cross. And the way we're going to do that is through looking at the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. Now, some people have said... Um, or have alluded to the fact that they're not sure if he said all of these on the cross, because how could somebody do that when they were in such agony? But I believe that the Bible says that he said these from the cross, and so that's how I take it. Um, as a as an old uh, song that my parents used to tell me about said, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. All right, with that introduction, I'm going to toss it over to Adam because he has a quote of the day. And this comes from uh, Mr. Philip Yancey. To some, the image of a pale body glimmering on a dark night whispers of defeat. What good is a God who does not control his son's suffering? But another sound can be heard, the shout of a God crying out to human beings, I love you. Love was compressed for all history in that lonely figure on the cross who said that he could call down angels at any moment on a rescue mission, but chose not to because of us. At Calvary, God accepted his own unbreakable terms of justice. Any discussion of how pain and suffering fit into God's scheme ultimately leads back to the cross. As we embark upon this special episode, Adam, do you have any thoughts on that quote? that it's it's impactful in the sense that if you if you stop and think about it Jesus could have at any moment called down an angel it could have stopped the process because he he was god he could have done anything but the fact that he didn't because he wanted out of love to die for us to save us from our sins you know you just you, you stop and wrap your mind around that right and it just kind of knocks you off your feet off your feet spiritually a little bit in a good way though because it reminds you how much Jesus not only loved us then but loves us today. All right. Well, with that we're going to begin a little discussion on the seven statements um that Jesus made from the cross and what how we're, what we're going to do this is I um will mention the statement and then I'll have Adam read the verse below the statement. Um, that has to do, and, and keep in mind, Adam, that the verse is to the right of the statement, the verse reference. Gotcha. Okay. So as we're going through these, and so you can look up these references on your own, um, and also just sit back and reflect on each of these as we discuss them. All right. The first one that Jesus, that's recorded, Father. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And you can see Luke twenty three thirty four for that one that says, Then Jesus then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. You know, when I really think about 
the way my interpersonal relationships work and how easy it is for me to get upset with other people and the way that they do things and the way that they might treat me from time to time. And then I reflect on this statement from our Savior, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I'm humbled. It's it's amazing to think that we would have the gall to hold anything against anyone for any length of time when we realize that Jesus, as he was being nailed to the cross, said these words. And the thing about Jesus, too, is he didn't just say the words, he meant the words. And we really see uh, the beginning process of this when we look after Jesus died, the centurion who was kind of in charge of nailing him to the cross said, surely this man was the son of God. And I don't know for sure, but I would hope that we would see the centurion in heaven one day and that I would be able to talk to him personally about what that was like to realize that this was indeed the son of God. All right, our second statement was, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And that statement comes from Luke 23, chapter or verses 39 through 43. It says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt, thou shalt be with me in paradise. This is one of my favorite stories because if you look in Matthew, the book of Matthew talks about this story as well and it says that both of the robbers were mocking Jesus they were both ridiculing him right along with the people that were walking alongside the cross and at some point the one thief realized that Jesus was who he said he was. Perhaps it was in part that first statement, the Father forgive them, and that whole attitude of forgiveness that Jesus had. But whatever it was that persuaded him of this, he realized that this man was the Son of God, and he did the only thing he could do. He cried out for help. I really like this story too because it underscores the fact that we can do nothing of ourselves to merit salvation. No possible way that you or I could be good enough. And this man on the cross shows us that. He couldn't get off the cross to go help an old lady cross the street or to go and confess his sins to a priest or to go and tell the people that he'd wronged, that he was sorry. All he could do 
was cry out to God. And God's answer was, as Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Statement three. He said to his mother, dear woman, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Which comes from John 19, verses 26 through 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. This is another one of those great stories. Because Jesus has the unique distinction of being 100% God and yet 100% man. And as an oldest son of his mother, he wanted to make sure that she was taken care of. Because that was part of his earthly responsibility. Even though by the fact that he refers to her as woman shows that their relationship was forever changed in the fact that he would never come back to her house and never function as her son again. But he gave her a son in his apostle John. Some may wonder about this because he had brothers. We know of at least two of his half-brothers, James and Jude. But we are reasonably confident that at the time that Jesus died, his brothers did not yet believe on him. Matter of fact, there is a passage of scripture that says that they thought that he was out of his mind. Instead, Jesus gave his mother to one of his inner circle, the Apostle John, who affectionately refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And of course, we know that he loves everyone. And I want to encourage you today, as you're reflecting on this Good Friday, that it's good because this cross was the greatest outpouring of love that could ever be bestowed upon mankind. Adam, do you have any thoughts on these first few statements? I think just a reminder of how, just like how merciful God is, um, especially the, the first two where, you know, it was it was always him saying, forgive those for they not know what they do or, um, when he showed mercy on the one robber who was uh, put up on the cross with him, you know, it can be so easy when uh, we're put down or we're hurt or maybe you've been bullied. And sometimes it can be easy to go to bitterness or to anger and to just hold on to that. But Jesus shows us another way, which also leads us to freedom and, and, to, better, and to better things. And how cool is it to think that we serve the same God who died for us on the cross then he, he's the same now. So in, in, in every day we can, we can ask him for the help to make that decision to you know, react in love to people when things come up, not in, not in anger or bitterness or, or to hold on to those things. And um, I, it's, just, it's such a good reminder. 
even for me. Amen. This next statement, statement four, is perhaps to me the most sobering. Because Jesus cried this out with a loud voice. My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? From Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Some of, some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one man, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him, and gave him to drink. The rest said, let, be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Jesus in this statement, was conveying the ultimate reality that in order to pay for our sin, he had to become sin. And because he became sin, God had to turn his face away. Because he turned his face away from his son, we will never have to experience what that means. God turned his face away from his son so that he could say to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As we contemplate on this Good Friday, the truths of these statements, may we think and be thankful as we think on this moment in time where God turned his face away and be thankful for it because it secured for us an eternal entrance to God. One that, if you're a true believer, will never be taken away. And as we contemplate this statement and the ones to come, may it remind us of the ultimate price that was paid and may it encourage us that because of that ultimate price, that the, the encouragement from our Lord to live a godly and holy life is not in fact something to ruin our lives, but it's something to make it richer. And it's something that he paid his very lifeblood so that we would be able to do. Statement number five is perhaps the simplest one. And again, focuses... more perhaps on his humanity although I'm sure there was a spiritual thirst as well the psalmist said 
As the deer pants before the water, so my soul longeth after you, O God. And I have no doubt that Jesus was having similar thoughts. From John 19, verses 28 through 29, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set, now there was a set, a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. I've read certain things about the crucifixion. And I know that it's a long, gruesome, barbaric process. So I thirst, perhaps, might be the understatement of the century. Yet he did. My friend today, if you are thirsty, come to the one who is the living water. Allow him to quench your thirst as it could never be quenched before. It transcends my understanding that the God of the universe, the God who made water, could be made to thirst. What he did. My prayer for you is that if you are thirsty, you will go to the one who can give you the water of life and that you will drink freely. Statement number six shows that even though he became sin, even though he was separated for that moment in time, he still believed that his father was ultimately in control. He said simply, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See Luke 23, verses 44 through 49 for this verse. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smelt their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the woman that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. It's kind of interesting to think about darkness over the whole earth. We think about we usually think about darkness in Jerusalem at that time. That's not that hard to comprehend. But this says darkness over the whole earth. Why? Because Jesus was the light of the world. And the light of the world had been slain 
for you and me. And so darkness came on the whole earth. And then we hear from the centurion, obviously, as I alluded to earlier, different gospel says that he believed that Jesus was the son of God. This may have been before that when he was still processing his thoughts. But he said, certainly this was a righteous man. And I don't know particularly what these people were thinking when they smote their breasts, but I hope that they were contemplating the possible implications of what was happening. God was the one that Jesus trusted. His Father was the one that he trusted with his spirit. And maybe you, like myself, like many other people, have a hard time trusting God with your life. But if the very Son of God can trust his Father and cry out in his greatest hour of agony and believe that God had a plan and was working it out, how much more can we? All of these statements have significance, but statement number seven just might be my favorite. Three simple words. It is finished. From John nineteen twenty eight through 30, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon the hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. I hope that you have enjoyed these Good Friday reflections. Hope that they've given you things to think about. Before we go, I'd like to know if Adam has any additional thoughts. And then we will wrap up. But I just wanted to say that Good Friday, although there was darkness, light was coming. The best thing about that Friday is that Sunday morning was around the corner. Adam, do you have any final thoughts? On these reflections, um, just taking time this Easter weekend to continue reflecting. You know, don't don't just take a just a moment or just a second, but uh, you know, challenging all of us to just you know focus through the times of quick getting to grandma's for dinner or, or getting to church, running off here. Or take some time and just stop and think about 
what happened Good Friday through Easter Sunday. I mean, we read the stories and such, but inside, do we really feel the impact of it? Do we really realize what a world-changing event this was that God allowed for us to happen? So over this Easter weekend, um, yeah, just make time and, and just, just reflect. I know it's something I'm working on this Easter season, too, before it flies by. This, week, <clears throat> this weekend is just to focus on, on what Jesus did for us. All right. Well, there you have the Good Friday edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. Hope that you've been blessed by this show. And if you have, I hope that you will share it with others. I hope that you will have a great Easter weekend and that you will remember that he is risen. Keep serving the best of masters.